Hello, Spectrumites and other people. My name is Forrest, and welcome to episode 19 of The Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. In this podcast, I'm going to give you insights on the autism spectrum, break down some of the myths surrounding it, tell you stories about my experiences on the spectrum, as well as the marriage I have with someone else on the spectrum, and allow you to have a window into my life through conversations I have with friends and family. Most importantly, I hope you learn something from this series, as well as have fun listening to it. Yada, 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 yada. Thank God I only had to do this for two more episodes. Now, I've been enjoying this very much, but I should change the script for next season. I... I thought you had re- pre-recorded an intro, so you don't have to do this every time. No, you know, you no I do, because I list the episode number. Oh, and that's yeah. right, because I listened to episode 12, and it was episode 12. Sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I am here with uh, my wife, KG. Hello. And I'm also here with Blade. Greetings. Who, no matter what, just always seems to stick around. <laughs> I'm not leaving. No, of course not. You're too useful, for now. So, uh, for this episode, this is the uh, penultimate episode for season one. I did mention on my substack a little while ago that I'm going to do this show in terms of seasons. There's going to be a holiday break in between because I need a holiday as well. And uh, doing a podcast, a weekly one, where you're doing a whole bunch of different subjects and different uh, guests and stuff like that, that's hard to do. And so I want to be able to spend time in between to plan out, outline the next season. So uh, with that being said, I thought it'd be fun if uh, before the finale, where I sit down with my parents, uh, I can do a bit of a recap episode for the season where we can kind of go over some of the subjects that I covered in this season. And some of these, you two were not there for. So... It would be hilarious to me. Wait, this gets to be the legendarily remembered episode of the equivalent of Avatar Last Airbender, the Ember Island Players. We get to recreate the <laughs> magic here. I, I did a, a prologue and an intro at the beginning. It's not even really worth going over. But I did say in the second episode, um, I did talk about the tendency to have a distracted mind. You know, I used uh, an example where... Usually my mindset when I'm standing in church during worship, my mind tends to be in like dozens of different places. Um, A lot of the time, actually, my mind decides to brainstorm um, a lot during worship. And so I don't know if that just makes me a bad Christian or this is just the way I am, you know, but it, it is something that I've been dealing with for almost my entire life. I am right there with you on that. That happens uh-huh. to me as well. Same. (laughs) That's why I like the deeper music that actually does something besides just saying the same lyric five times, because that just bores me. Yeah, right. Like, that's probably why I like, like, deeper Christian music, because, like, it has an idea to, like, think on. It's something that's just saying the same line five times over. I just space out and start thinking about something else. (laughs) So when, when I listened to that episode, I was very much like... This guy gets me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'd be thinking about red versus blue or something. Or like I said, you know, just brainstorming uh, different uh, story ideas. And sometimes the it depends on the intensity of the music itself. Like, the mood of the music determines the mood of my thoughts. And so, like, the mood of uh, my thoughts will contribute to different story ideas. It's like, here's an emotional scene, here's an action-driven scene, here's, you know, something like that. So, in in a weird way, this worship music accompanies, or it, like, supports, um, how my distracted thoughts go. So it's like, yeah, what is it? Well, I was just gonna point out, I, I just, I was just gonna say... Um, my mind gets so distracted sometimes that my parents used to say something whenever I would, like, get distracted. <laughs> like, during worship, or? No, just in general. Oh, just in general, okay. Like, I'll be ta- I'll fair. be doing something, and then some- and then my mind, and I'll get distracted like that, mm-hmm. and my parents will just go, squirrel! <laughs> Your parents would say that? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's funny. Because <laughs> they'll be like, they'll just look on, like, oh, she- she's going to squirrel mode again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's why I said earlier in this uh, season that um, ADHD and autism do have a tendency to go hand in hand, or at least for me, you know, like ADHD was mentioned in my uh, diagnosis report, at least kind of of the milder variant, because a lot of that, that hyperactivity is kind of inward. You know, I mean, I know that you both have seen me at times where I'm extremely mellow and quiet and, and don't say much, but then there are times where I'm like, 
absolutely like off my rocker to make me sound like an old man, but um, where I'm just I am very hyperactive and I'm very energetic, and it I think it just strictly depends on the type of setting that I'm in. I think it, autism is just a is just an amalgamation of all sorts of different other mental dis or uh, mental disorders like adhd ocd mm -hmm. maybe a bit of bipolar there's actually a little bit of bipolar uh in there mm -hmm. that i can confirm yeah. yeah maybe even a bit of tourette's yes a little bit of tourette's so it's just, yeah. a, it's just a we that's why a lot of times it's common for autism to get misdiagnosed as something else because it's just we have we have symptoms of so many other disorders that sometimes it's sometimes um they're so prevalent that they give that diagnosis rather than autism. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which, when uh, when autistic people have such a distracted mind, it does make me wonder, then, how are they so successful at the things that, the, that they're really invested in? You know, like, some autistic people really are invested in, um, in some of their school subjects, and they excel at those. But if they, have, if they can have such a distracted mind, how are they able to you know, to succeed in that. It's not exact. It's very well, selective, right? They're, they're very selective in what they focus on. Sure, but... Mentally. But, yeah. but again, autism isn't technically ADHD. ADHD right. is like... With ADHD, you, um... You tend to bounce a lot more. It's harder... It's really hard to focus with ADHD. But with autism, the autism part bring, helps negate the ADHD. For me, I, I've always... Because I, I don't have ADHD, as far as I'm aware. And... <laughs> I highly doubt it, but there's times where I definitely get easily distracted with things or I just jump from thing to thing, but I think that's just normal, quote-unquote, <laughs> at a normal level for me. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I find I very much have the same, like, focus and, like, okay, I'm, lear I'm learning this new thing. I'm going to learn all about it. I'm going <laughs> to dig in and all find out everything about it. The hyperfixation. Kind of, yeah. So mm -hmm. I, think that's, I think that plays a role because that can kind of be applied to anything. Yeah. Well, I do bring up hyperfixations. Uh, KG and I did an episode all about them, as you probably listened to because yep. you were a faithful listener. Yep. Um, yeah, we did cover uh, hyperfixations and obsessions. The funny thing is, though, and this, was, this is something I've kind of wanted to um, learn a little bit about, is that when it comes to hyperfixations of mine, for example, or KG's, it's really easy to spot out that those are hyperfixations because if KG and I are hyperfixated on something, we will constantly talk about it. We will bring it up. It doesn't matter if you don't give a crap. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if uh, if you're not interested in this in this particular thing whatsoever. With you, on the other hand, like the if you have hyperfixations, you have to tell me what those are because like. You're passionate about stuff, but anybody can be passionate about things. There's a difference between being so hyperfixated on something that's one of the only things you talk about and being so passionate about something that it comes up occasionally. And I think this is this kind of plays into why I'm quote unquote a bit more normal <laughs> is because I definitely get fixated on things, but I don't the usually don't get out of out of control. Like for me it usually comes out the most when like I get I play a new game video game or I start a new playthrough of a game I really mm -hmm. love because I always find those are the most interesting parts is when you start because mm -hmm. that's one of the most changes in the mo like you start with a character build or you're starting a new playthrough of like a strategy game so you're like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna conquer this province but then this factor like throws a wrench into that so that makes this playthrough a lot more interesting whereas towards the end of the game you've usually snowballed to the point where you're unstoppable or you're so powerful that nothing no setback can set you back long enough for it to matter and I, so i think you reached a point where you understood a little bit more about uh how my hyperfixations or obsessions on things work because i remember uh you were driving with um uh, me and our and a mutual friend of ours and i was talking a little bit about like the kinds of uh, gas prices we were seeing, because this was like kind of on the onset of the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and of course, obviously, that was affecting gas prices globally. And I remember, I remember, like I was talking a little bit about it, and um, and I and you were like, "Well, let's not focus too much on it, okay? It's a negative thing." And I and I said, "Hey, I spent the last several years being obsessed with the uh, COVID stuff. How about I replace that with the uh, gas prices?" And you were like, "No, <laughs> no." 
good. I wasn't alone. That's good to know. <laughs> yes, because I remember, because now that you say that, I remember that. Because I remember just being like. you know me. <laughs> well, that, and I was just kind of like, okay, this is getting to the point that's annoying. That's all you talk about now. <laughs> Move on to something more interesting. It's funny coming from me as someone who, and I don't say this to show off, but coming from someone who only fills up his tank like every two weeks. So there's that too. I think it also goes to show that based on how you don't really hyperfixate, it goes to show like no two people have the same autism. Like Forrest is extroverted for an autistic person and you don't hyperfixate. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so... <laughs> Look, I did cover dating at one point <laughs> in this season, um, but uh, Blade is a bachelor at the moment, and um, <laughs> the next thing that we... <laughs> the next... <laughs> See, I did call this show, um, you know, uh, what was it? Um, yes, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. I can't even bring up marriage in this recap episode necessarily. But you can't. I mean, I mean, I mean you can. I'll I just can. be sitting here awkwardly sitting here, you know, quiet, not having been able to contribute anything. Third wheeling. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm used to it. I've done it basically all my life. <laughs> Girls, he's available. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the episode, like... But, I mean, Marriage on the Spectrum, that is a very... If there's anything I should cover in this recap episode that I've already mentioned before, it's that um, Marriage on the Spectrum is not a topic that you see very often. It's just not. And mm -hmm. I, think it, I think it should be covered more. I mean, in all honesty, KG and I feel very alone in this world. Um, like, as far as that top is, a topic is concerned. There were no marriage books about how do you live with someone on the autism spectrum. Yeah, none. Yeah. There is none, and so which is why I'm fixing that. But. <laughs> so it was just like, we were reading all these marriage books, and it's, which was another episode we covered, but I won't get into that yet. Okay, yeah, that's but, right. But to just generalize it, it's just like, we're reading most of these marriage books, like, most of these don't apply to us, because either I don't act like the women they outline in, the, outline in these books, or it's just, it just didn't, well, they weren't helpful. Yeah, and that kind of makes, because when I was talking to my mom at one point to get the material I needed for the episode interview I did with you, because, well, I was kind of five at the time, didn't remember much of it, uh, she talked about how, like, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff around, and I talked with her about that, because you had noticed that there was, like, nothing out there on that, and she was saying that, yeah, she hadn't noticed anything, I mean, she's not, like, super, like, researching into this kind of stuff, but the only thing she could think of that was even, like, popular media was a Netflix show at one point. Um, was it The Good Doctor or Young Sheldon? No, uh, although, yeah, we should have talked a little bit about The Good Doctor. But anyway, uh, it was a different Netflix show about, like, actual, like, autistic people dating, whether it be... Oh, we watched that. Yeah, yeah. she mentioned the show to me. I was like, oh, I'll have to pass on for see if he's aware of it. It lasted for two seasons and then ended. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought it was okay. It was okay. No one stuck. No one stuck together at the end. Yeah. No. It is a. It is an extremely, extremely rare thing, and that's again. That's the point of this podcast is to kind of like bring awareness to that. That's what my book, uh, The Pancake King: Life and Dane on the uh, Autism Spectrum, you know, will be about. This is kind of bringing a little, uh, bringing something new into the market of ideas, <laughs> as we call it. I we did cover uh, like what happened when we got like our diagnosis reports i did cover a little bit about uh the age dif like what age difference means if you get diagnosed really really early on in life how does that help you in the long term or if you get diagnosed way later in my in life like me how does that affect me in the long term so as uh, two people who uh, managed to get diagnosed way way early on in life um thus being able to figure out uh, your autism throughout uh, your school years, unlike me. Um, and I don't blame my parents for this. Yeah, like, how do you think that helped you? Blade how, <clears throat> Blade, how old were you when you got diagnosed? I was in kindergarten or first grade. Okay. Or no, kindergarten, I think it was. I was... Or, no, no, no. It was pre-kindergarten. Pre-K. Yeah, pre-K. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I was 13. Oh, wow. So we have quite the spectrum here. <laughs> but... 20. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, for me, it was, my parents actually knew for, like, three years, but they weren't, like, entirely sure, because this was, 
when I got diagnosed, it was the time, it was during the time when um, autism was just starting to become a bit more mainstream, more people were starting to talk about it, say, hey, this is a thing. I was diagnosed with Asperger's, if that shows you how far back that was. Yep. Um, but, but when I got, did get diagnosed, um, my parents were super helpful with it. They tried to understand me. They had to kind of learn how to talk to me a bit different because of just how my mind worked. They needed to be a lot more direct when they asked questions. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I wouldn't understand them or understand what they wanted. Um, and uh, but I just I didn't really care about it. I'm just like, oh, I'm autistic. Cool. I don't want to be treated any differently. Yeah, for me, like... Especially, especially in stark contrast to when you first got your diagnosis and were kind of mind blown. Because I remember being there, like you talking about your diagnosis. I just remember thinking, like, big deal, kind of thing. <laughs> like, like not to minimize what you were going through. It's just for me, like, it was hard to empathize uh, because I was literally, I had literally known for all my life, and and for the most part, normalized most of the <laughs> aspects of uh, autism by that point. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you talking about the, these topics going through this podcast has really made me think a little bit more about how certain parts of autism have like influenced my current life and has really made me think about it more recently. But especially back then when you first got your diagnosis, I was just like, <laughs> I just remember I, I wasn't thinking like, again, I'm not trying to be empathetic. I, w- <laughs> I wasn't coming from that aspect. I was just kind of like, yeah, I've had it all my life and hasn't really affected me much. It's not. It shouldn't be as devastating as it was. But mm-hmm. again, the that's why I didn't tell you anything like that because I knew that wasn't very empathetic. But I remember, yeah, it was so devastating. That I was like, man, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, I think I, I think the reason why it was so hard for me when I first got it was because I was already going through kind of a crappy time in my life, um, and which is actually explained a lot in my book coming out, it's the Pancaking yep. Life and Dating on the Autism Spectrum. Uh, but. Yeah, there was a lot of just d- different things going going on in my life where a lot of the stuff where a lot of things I thought I knew, you know, like I thought I knew where my future was going and then that was pretty much all completely like torn down, deconstructed, whatever. Um, and then I got this diagnosis report on top of that and it's like, well, now not only has my life, you know, shifted or changed in ways that um, is kind of leaving me in a very confusing spot, but it also... Now I have this to contend with, and I have to figure out how to work with it or how to live with it. And I shouldn't even say contend with it, because I don't want people who get diagnosed to uh, think of it that way. It's definitely kind of a a new opening for how you can move forward in life. I imagine for you, to some degree, it must have been uh, you have a name to something that has affected you your whole life, and now you have to kind of figure out what that means for you going forward. Right, right. I do mention this, uh, actually, I do mention this in my book at one point. I'm okay with uh, sharing this, but um, if you get a uh, diagnosis report and it turns out that you're on the autism spectrum, that doesn't mean that by default you are required to be some sort of autism activist for the rest of your life. You don't necessarily have to have a platform for it. You don't have to speak for it. You don't have to really even, you're not, you don't owe the world like an explanation of what you are. Um, if that is something that you wish to do, you know, in a way that's uh, kind of what I'm doing through this podcast, you know, then go for it. But just because you get uh, a diagnosis report, it doesn't mean A, you have to be an activist about it and B, you have to do a complete overhaul of your life. It just means some little changes here and there. I actually, um, one last thing, I learned later in life that I was actually pretty lucky because girls are either misdiagnosed or they're underdiagnosed compared to boys. It's like, I think it's one in five boys get diagnosed, but it's like one in 64 girls get diagnosed. And they tend to get diagnosed way later in life. So I was actually, my parents were actually on top of it by getting me diagnosed early. Yeah, and like I said in the interview I did, you know, I was also, I was extremely lucky to be found, found with it so early and not have it misdiagnosed as ADHD. Mm-hmm. So. Again, you would have been. I don't know how Adderall would have affected you if you, <laughs> yeah. kid, if you got misdiagnosed. It affected me very badly. Yeah, it affected me very. Badly. I was lucky. I didn't have to take any medication for my symptoms. My parents actually had to do. 
my parents actually did a whole presentation for my private school because, again, it was just starting to become mainstream and not a lot of teachers knew about it. So they mm. did this whole presentation to help the school understand um, what it was, how to work around it, stuff like that. Yeah, my parents didn't have to go quite that far, but... <laughs> but again, private school versus, I'm assuming you were in public school. Yeah. So Private school didn't have as many resources. Oh, that's a good point. I, I did want to touch <clears throat> real briefly on uh, the episode that I did with um, Taylor. Now, if anything, this would be the episode um, that I would associate with the Great Divide from Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> and, and, and it's not even because of the content. I just want to apologize for how badly the audio turned out. Um, but the content of the episode was really good. This was oh. something I wanted to briefly touch on. Uh, Taylor was a, um, is a worker for, the, for a mental health agency. He works um, for kids who uh, deal with um, mental health issues, even including autism. And I just, I thought that was interesting. That was, it, like, even though I'm, I'm not a huge fan of how the audio quality of that episode turned out, um, that was something, kind of an area of passion for me because I do, um, I volunteer for a foster kids camp called Royal Family Kids, and Taylor was actually one of the counselors in that camp this year. First time, I would think. And, um, and that was really cool, because that's kind of an area of passion for me, because I know that with, with kids, ADHD is typically interpreted as, like, just being completely, like, off the walls everywhere, you know, just, just completely all over the place and it's really really it's really hard for them and autism too is something that's really really hard for them because they have to um like it's harder for them to express how they're feeling like mm -hmm. they're upset but they don't but they can't necessarily unpack why that's familiar to me definitely oh yeah yeah you've experienced that Yes, in a way, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Like it can go into it can go into adulthood too. But Blade, being that you've just apparently been so normalized, <laughs> Mr. Neurotypical over here. <laughs> no, no, Blade has papers, I think, to prove that he was in fact diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Yeah. But I think attention was kind of hard for you as a kid. Was was that difficult for you just being able to um to focus? And, um, or, or having, experiencing different emotions and not necessarily being able to unpack it. I, to some degree, I think the emotions thing, uh, is just going to be something for me the rest of my life. Because, like, for example, uh, I don't cry very often when watching sad things, which is kind of normal, but it's only mm -hmm. been in the last few years that, like, I've really, like, and this is only, like, shows that are, like, really good that I cry at all. And even then, it's just a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, for example, there's only, like, two times in uh, My Hero Academia I've cried. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was only during the English dub, not yeah, the Japanese, right. interestingly enough. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I... I I chalk it up to something means a lot more when it's a language you know all the little small nuances to it. Oh, that makes so much sense. Because yeah. it's it's one thing to hear a voice and then have to read subtitles to understand it, as opposed right. to hearing all the nuances in someone's voice as they say something. That drives something home a lot more. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I just could not really get myself to thoroughly enjoy cyberpunk edgerunners because we watched that in japanese was... and th and then like the internet was telling me the show is practically a masterpiece and i'm like i did not see one like the way you guys were talking it up i thought it was going to be like arcane from last year you know i don't i don't mind well this is kind of off topic yeah. but i don't mind listening to japanese dubs because i can read subtitles and pay attention to what's going on at the same time and um i got emotional at the end of an anime i watched in japanese so Maybe it's just, well, I am studying Japanese, so I do know a little bit more of the nuances of the language. Yeah, and I, when it comes to the debate of dub versus uh, sub, uh, I am of the camp of why not enjoy both. Uh, I lean towards dubs, but I'll, I, especially if it's a show I really like, I'll watch the sub first, then watch the dub. Well, since we're on the topic of, like, um, how, like, emotion on screen, what? I wouldn't tell some stories about Skip Long, but... Oh, well, hold on, in a second. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we can kind of transition to yeah, that yeah. next. Yeah, we can transition to that. But, 
since we're on the topic of talking about how like Im- how we can connect emotionally with what we're seeing on the screen um because one of the things about autism is that we struggle with picking up on social cues or like nonverbal communication and stuff like that you told me once kg that the only character um on screen ever where you were actually able to understand nonverbal cues was Bucky the Winter Soldier. It's true. What? <laughs> when I the first, only character. When I first saw um the Winter Soldier when I saw when I saw the Winter Soldier for the first time, um and you know, um the actor Sebastian Stan only has like a few lines throughout the entire movie. Yeah. One so line's it, in Romanian. <laughs> Russian. Oh Russian? Oh I thought it was Romanian. It Dang was it. not. Oh okay. I don't know why. Some MCU scholar you are <laughs> I thought it was Romanian. I don't know why. I said How that. dare you? You mixed up well, two he, languages that speak, both start with R. Well, he did speak Romanian in Civil War. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then they just Civil mixed War, up the movies. Okay. Soldier. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, the act, and, the, and the actor is technically Romanian. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. He was born in Romania, yeah. That's cool. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of fun facts. Get to your point. <laughs> yes. When I first saw. I think I was actually watching it at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. Um. But I was watching it for the first time, and he doesn't have very many lines, so a lot of the a lot of his acting comes from facial expressions, body language, that sort of thing, aka the stuff we're not good at reading. And it was only after I finished the movie, I thought to myself, "Wait a second, I understood his I understood his entire character, what he was thinking based off his facial expressions." <gasps> It was like an epiphany went off in my mind. And you've never had it since. I mean, I think I've got, I think I've gotten a bit better mm. and. I wouldn't say I'm, like, really good at it, because I still can't tell sometimes. Mm. Um, but I think I've gotten a bit better when it comes to watching other pe- watching people on screen. And when it's, just, when it's a quiet moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, I understand what they're feeling right now. I understand, based on their facial expression. Yeah, for me, this is another example of how I'm, for the most part, normal. Like, I can read it. I'm not the best at it, especially <laughs> when people are, like, trying to, like, say something. You know, like, when somebody's like... Like, you know, they're saying <laughs> mm-hmm. something really quietly and they're just lipping the words. Like, uh-huh. that I can never read. Oh, interesting. You can't read that? No. That's weird. I, interesting. I, yeah, like I, like, I do not pick up on subtlety too often, uh, but I can, for the most part, read people's faces. I, I still can't understand sarcasm, even though my, and my dad, he, he knows this, but he does it all the time. <laughs> he knows it, too. I'm of the belief, Blade, that you are only capable of two different facial expressions. And it's kind of funny because when you're, like, you're not necessarily, like, happy or joyful. You're just kind of, like, neutral. Like, there are times where, um, you know, a friend of mine has asked me, is Blade pissed at me? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would tell him, no, I don't think so. That's just his natural state. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Like, I remember when you first told me this, and I was like, wait, what? I oh, I give that impression? Oh, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, you kind of do. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Which horrifies me, because I had no idea. <laughs> You have my dad's problem. <laughs> no! <laughs> but no, I'll, my dad will do sarcasm, and then I'll just stare at him with the deer-in-the-headlights look, and everybody will laugh, because it's like, she doesn't understand sarcasm, and he always does it. Yeah, um, wow, I, I love the fact that we were able to go on a streak like that. That was but great. Anyway. Uh, you had a couple of stories, I guess, from uh, where yeah. you used to work. Yeah, at the daycare center I used to work at, um, we had... What? I wouldn't say, like, a large part portion, but we had, like, it was probably, like, practically every classroom had at least one kid that had, I wouldn't say, like, ADHD or autism. Um, there was one kid in the school-age room who had autism, and those kids, at, the kids in that classroom had been together for a really long time, so the kids were actually really understanding of the kid with autism. Like, if he, would, if he was freaking out, they would try their best to help calm him down. Um, he was a bit lower on the spectrum, so he had problems with like overstimulation stuff. Mm. And he would, if he got too overstimulated, he would try to run out of the room type thing because you know he just couldn't handle it. But the other kids were very, always very like understanding. They never made fun of him. Um, they That's just, awesome. They tried their, they just tried their best to help him calm down, help him feel, like, but also help him feel like uh, included. Mm. And there was this, this was in a pre-K room. There was we. It was a uh, one of we had got a new kid, um, and she was she was very nonverbal. Um, she couldn't talk. 
so she couldn't express herself, which was very frustrating for her. And then when she gets, and when, of course, when a little kid gets frustrated, they get angry, they throw temper tantrums because mm-hmm. they just can't express themselves. And she would also kind of get a little violent um, mm-hmm. during her ta- when when during those times. So, um, yeah, when you have to work with those types of kids, you just got to learn. Okay, well, how do we calm them down? Like, how do we help them learn how? How do we help teach them to express themselves a little better? And of course, she went to speech therapy to help too. But oh. it's interesting seeing the the variations on the spectrum and and how it shows in different people. Yeah, because especially as a kid, you haven't like learned what you can handle, what you can, mm-hmm. and at least attempted to equal e- get to a good equal equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure for kids, you you see the the best and worst. Yeah, and again, it's hard for kids. Because nonverbal is another um, big thing with autism. Like, usually kids don't speak until they're a lot older than what's normal. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure it's um, even worse for them because they're, they have trouble um, processing their emotions. And if they can't talk about it, that must make it twice as worse. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing about communication, that it's so hard to talk about something when you don't have a word for it. That mm-hmm. Even just assigning some sort of word for it helps immensely in communicating ideas. Mm-hmm. I've just always been like, when it comes to words, it's like when people give some sort of positive affirmation, that really, really helps. Like for me, words just tend to, they can either make or break a day for me, or they can break the next two days. <laughs> but, um, but that has been something with me. I'm never, I um I was a nonverbal thankfully as a kid. I I developed speech normally, which I think also also made it so that when I did diagnose it was much later in life because I didn't because that's one of the very first signs usually mm-hmm. of autism is a lack of speech. Oh yeah, and that's one thing my mom talked about with me is that that's one that was the first kind of red flag yeah. of something was going on was because mm-hmm. my later speech development mm-hmm. than uh, than for for my age and that's kind of the first thing that really made some specialists like kind of give me extra attention as mm-hmm. a kid mm. the next uh, subject i wanted to bring up there's at least two more that i wanted to cover in this recap episode but that was um the contrast between like extroverted and introverted the fact that um one of the quote-unquote myths surrounding autism, as I uh, talk about at the beginning of every episode is the fact that autistic people are kind of these like introverted silent hermits that don't want to be around people or or necessarily like um have any kind of social interaction uh that is uh not true that is misinformation and you are (laughs) Um, living proof of that (laughs) yes yes in a in a way i am um yeah i i've always been kind of an extra an extroverted person but i never really learned that until after i graduated high school and when i graduated high school for the next two or so months, I was not really busy doing anything at all. And when you're not busy doing anything at all and you have all the time in the world, then you start to learn some things about yourself. <laughs> and yep. you start to, because you're not busy anymore, and so you're able to think a lot more, you're able to think a lot more clearly, uh, which means given how busy I am today, I will never be able to think clearly ever again. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, Like, I learned that I had very, very few friends at the time, and the friends that I um, did have, I didn't really get to see very often. It also didn't help that um, I wasn't driving, so it's not like I had the freedom to go out and do whatever I wanted. Um, So that's when I learned that loneliness is kind of an issue of 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 mine um or was at the time um what's kind of funny is that like at the time i wanted more friends and and now i'm kind of like okay this is the lie (laughs) i don't know if i can take on anymore because i don't know if i can um dedicate any more time than i already have which i guess is a good problem to have (laughs) um but yeah like uh, i am living proof like uh, she said that um that autistic people that certain autistic people they they do um, wish for uh, social interaction, or they do wish for friends, or they wish for people that they can share their interests with. Or more just like you're good at making friends, because that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's one of the symptoms of autism is that they have problems making friends. Yeah, my my middle brother has always struggled with that. I know that you've struggled with that. Um, I know that despite the fact that you like wear the introvert badge on your sleeve. Um, you uh you have mentioned before that um that you still would like to talk to people to share interests with and stuff like that yeah that 
You know, it's like, you can do it for like five energetic minutes, and then after that, you're like, and I'm good. <laughs> for me, I, I, like, throughout most of, like, public school, I was the introverted person, but now, well, I kind of say screw the bipolar choice, but mm. uh, generally I... Oh, ambivert. Well, I, I kind of feel like I lean extroverted, but I don't identify as that, just because, again, screw the bipolar choice. <laughs> well, the, the answer to the screw the bipolar choice is ambivert, that's what my mom is. And what does that mean exactly? It means you can be both. Hmm. You can be either extroverted or introverted, depending on the situation. Yeah, why did you say, I don't know if I could be ambiverted, maybe, and then you're like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, I wanted to have her define the term that I didn't know, instead of being scary word that I don't know, no. Being like, well, you know, let's find out what it actually means before I say, before I, before I further disparage it, for at least for me. <laughs> well, I've just, yeah. I've always... I'm, I'm, I've always said, yeah, I'm introverted. Um, Which was a revelation for me. Not, oh, yeah. not, not necessarily... You didn't know be- what an introverted person was until <laughs> then. Yeah, right. <laughs> there were a couple of key words that I, I learned when uh, her and I were dating, and that was, um, that was introverted, pragmatic, present-oriented... And, and some other fourth thing. Um, free-spirited. No, not free-spirited. Um, you just made that up on the spot. But um, <laughs> No, it was, it was those things. But I do remember... Um, oh, no, it was autistic. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a pragmatic, present-oriented, introverted, um, autistic. And I said it as Pippa for short, so that I can, um, so that I can, like, keep track of that. I remember even asking you, can I nickname that? Like, can I, like, give you the nickname Pippa? And you're like, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, My nickname is Bugs and only Bugs. Because <laughs> I liked Bugs Bunny as a kid. That's what my mom gave me, the nickname Oh, okay. Bugs. I was going to say, where did that come from? It's the first time we heard of such nickname. Uh, no, I remember asking people on Reddit, how do you date someone? <laughs> <laughs> who's introverted an extremely helpful forum by the way um like i just i put the question out there you know how do you effectively you know date someone who's introverted and i guess that goes to show like how interested or how invested i was in this that i didn't want that to be a deal breaker you know because i was obviously extroverted and she was introverted i didn't want that difference to be a deal breaker because there are so many married couples who have who are that extrovert introvert you know, contrast. And actually, that's a contrast and a dynamic that you can find all sorts of information about, just not to autistic people <laughs> uh, who are married. Um, but yeah. Because we read that article about that lady who was introverted, but her husband was extroverted. And she, and we, and we still quote the line that she used is like, I love my husband to the moon and back, but sometimes I do not want to be around him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, she, but yeah. she means that lovingly. Right. Well, it's kind of funny because like when we did get married uh, sometime later, it's just, I found hobbies or or interests that i can you know fill fill my time with when we're not hanging out together and you know and she has her own stuff so it's not like i'm kind of like sitting around twiddling my thumbs being like when are you gonna be ready to pay attention to me (laughs) um i think that's something that you can just you can learn naturally over time i can say from experience that that is not at all a lost cause yeah, and I imagine so, because a lot of just uh, communication and having a healthy relationship is just being on the same page about things. I mean, th- of course, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's like a great place to start is at least mm-hmm. both of you recognizing that in each other and working around it. Right. Uh, I did want to touch on the on the last thing, you know, that's really worth mentioning uh, for the recap season. Um, and that is the fact that KG and I went over the fact that autism autism defies gender norms. Have a nice evening, everybody. We'll see you in season two. No, but this what, was what? no. This was uh, this was something a little bit different that uh, KG and I covered. And I'll just say that from a behind the scenes standpoint, at least twenty minutes of that episode was cut because it it went into so many different directions and and stuff like that. And we were like, let's let's just kind of keep it like straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, do you know uh, do you know a man on the autism spectrum who I don't know chops trees and carries uh, guns around around. goes to the gym and has the most muscly muscles ever yeah right the the stereotypical (laughs) man like do you do you know any autistic person like that blade 
Uh, no, not really. I right, because I know I, I'm not looking at one. No, I, well, I failed two of the three of those, but, <laughs> but, that, but I also don't identify as, like, a generally, like, a typical masculine man. Like, I was not really given that by my, uh, by my dad, or really, or really anyone else. Like, that only developed over time. I only, like, legit the reason I work out is because I started to do that to be better at soccer. Oh, and it just and then it just stopped. it just kept as a habit because oh, okay. for many other reasons and the other the gun reason is more because I like history mm-hmm. and right. guns are a part of history. Mm-hmm. That's why most of the firearms I own are historical guns. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But like I don't I I mean this lovingly. I'm I'm using this in the most logical, pragmatic way possible. <laughs> but when you look at Forrest, does he remind you? Of, does he remind you of society's stereotypical gender norm male? I could see him. I could imagine him trying to pump some iron, getting really tired. Oh, after. just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine is, him trying to. This show is about honesty. <laughs> I can imagine him, you know, trying to trying to lift some weights and then and then you know doing the SpongeBob thing, like, and then it's just the bar. <laughs> oh man, the the weakness. <laughs> well, like another another stereotypical a stereotype for men is that they're supposed to be strong, silent, unemotional. Do yeah, you see I'm... me as silent, unemotional, Blade? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> don't no. have to answer and that. I don't really feel that either. Yeah, right. I'm a talkative. No, KG just fills all that. Because that was something <laughs> that we were talking about. Like, if you, if, if you actually do a little bit of uh, digging, uh, women who are on the autism spectrum... Tend to, tend to behave a lot more masculine. And mm-hmm. men... Well, this was kind of blurry. We weren't really finding a whole lot about it, but... Mm-hmm. I think the study was still ongoing, oh. but men seem to veer a bit more feminine or androgynous mm-hmm. in a way. I think that was the ultimate thing: is that autism is a lot more androgynous than in terms of how the genders act. And I think that's just also a good example. I I think that also kind of is a good example of just how like stringent we view gender roles when. Mm-hmm. That really shouldn't. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you can't, like, work out and be, like, you know, muscular mm-hmm. to, I, and whatnot. I gave an example during the episode, um, during, when I was at a youth group, um, the, uh, count, the uh, people in charge of the youth group were like, hey, we're thinking about doing a girls' night and a boys' night. It would happen at the same time, but they would be split off. And we're thinking that the girls can watch Pride and Prejudice, and the boys can watch Avengers. And then there's me being like, slowly raise his hand. Can I join the boys? Because <laughs> I'm like, I hate those types of movies with a passion. I hate romance movies. I hate romance books. She and hates romance. I don't hate romance. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I just, I just don't like romance media. But so I was just, I wanted to, I really wanted to go watch Avengers. That's all I wanted to do. But the counselor's like, but. But it's supposed to be for the boys. I'm like, yeah. So I don't want to watch Pride and Prejudice. And then they never did it. So I think I, I think I turned them off to the whole thing because I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I bucked the norms. I bucked the system. And I think that's actually a really good example of just how ingrained we view so many things that we associate with people that they should act certain ways just based on their gender. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I remember the girls actually being excited about watching Pride and Pride and Prejudice, but I'm like. <laughs> No, I I don't. That's not what I like. Yeah, like again, just a great example of how, like, yeah, like we just expect so much from people based on just on their gender, mm-hmm. and probably shouldn't. At least not assume it anyway. Right. Nothing wrong with filling the stereotypes, but <laughs> expecting at least most people to, I think, is wrong. Especially when those people don't want to fill in those stereotypes, but you force them to. Mm-hmm. That just forces them to decide: well, do I cave in, or do I decide to buck all the norms and? go further radicalize i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of problems with having stringent gender roles i uh i didn't talk about this in the episode but i did a a women's gender study in college i did a Mm -hmm. college class about that and um our teacher wanted us to write um a paper about um how did how do you how do you experience gender norms and gender roles in in your life and i'm like i've never experienced gender norms because I don't act, because I've never, never, I've never acted like a traditional woman, never really wanted to act like a traditional, 
traditional woman, and um, and no one ever said anything. <laughs> this makes me think of a question I remember you asking me mm. uh, yeah. in the middle at uh, at Blackhawk College, and that you asked me what how what it was something along the lines of. In what ways do I feel like I fill the roles of a stereotypical man? I remember thinking, I remember telling you at the time, I think the only thing I do that's a stereotypical man thing is work out. (laughs) (laughs) Besides that, I am a nerd. And That's funny. I don't remember asking you that question, but that sounds like something I could, I would have asked. I think it was related to a class or something, but I remember you specifically asked about that. Uh I was like, yeah, Yeah. only, only in one way. That's right. That's right. No, I dropped out of that class. <laughs> I was failing it anyway. What about you, Forrest? How do you feel like you either adhere to or buck gender norms as an autistic male? I don't work out, but that's more of a responsibility problem than a, <laughs> than a masculinity problem. Because women work out too, you know? Yeah. It's like, working out is not exclusive to, you know, to one gender, but... But, but it's, it's more associated through society. As you know, I, I'm a very touchy-feely person. What do you want from me? No, like, uh, no yeah, I'm kind of a much more touchy-feely person. Uh, you know, I'm much more open about my, my emotions. I, you know, I'm willing to cry. In fact, I cry a lot. Um, and that's okay. Yes, right. Yes, yes. yes yes forest let your tears flow (laughs) but yeah no not really much i mean i i still believe in the the just the principles of um you know maintaining the household um working it to make sure that we continue to have money and yes i know that you have a job too but um you know i have a i have a full-time job i take that very seriously i make sure that um that we're financially sound that i have a roof over over your head and and all that kind of stuff the responsibilities of of um you know of being married like being responsible for someone else not just yourself you know that's something that is extremely extremely important to me and uh, i hold very close to me and i still fulfill the gender role of feeling protective of the man of the house that's true i suppose I i should say protected by the men of the house yeah, you have a yeah, it's true you also have a very nurturing personality you know yeah. like, that's still i'm really good with kids that's probably the only feminine part of me is that i'm really good with kids and i think that's a great example of how we should view less view it more as like a spectrum like how what kind of feminine traits you have what kind of more masculine traits you have and that it's not bad to have some of each yeah. or all of one side and none of the other and like, there are that's, some that's fine. and there are some days where i'm like yeah, I feel like dressing, um, dressing pretty, wearing a dress, wearing a skirt instead of my usual pants and or sweatpants. Yeah. So, to conclude this episode, because I want to kind of get get like all this stuff out of the way, um, you know, before the finale and everything. So after the next episode, where I sit down with my parents, that is uh, the end of season one of the Pancake King: Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. I just want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of people before we end this. Um, some of my uh, paid subscribers. I uh, just wanted to shout out who those are. Those would be my mother-in-law. <laughs> A.K.A. my mom. My grandmother-in-law. A.K.A. my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and Victoria is actually her username on Substack. So uh, to you paid subscribers as of this recording, thank you very much for uh, just providing a little bit of uh, uh, side, co- uh, side income and just really helping us uh, keep this platform um, afloat. I got a surprisingly good number of subscribers um, for the Substack, and I'm very grateful for it. Doing a weekly uh, Substack post and a weekly podcast has been really fantastic and the fact that i've been able to keep this um afloat without going a week where i'm like well i've got nothing you know it has been absolutely fantastic uh i have a lot more time now to work on my projects due to the fact that my work has taken us off of overtime and has no foreseeable plans to put us back on and i actually believe them this time and um and so I'm going to be taking a holiday break starting in December. Uh, the finale of this podcast will be out the final week of November, and the final blog post length Substack post will be out for that final week. For December, uh, I'm just going to have 
I'm just going to roll out some content that will be for the paid subscribers just so that they get a little something. It's a little Christmas gift from me to them. Some recordings that never got published. Um, it was some stuff with uh, me, Ublade, and then two of our mutual friends sitting at uh, your guys' town home. That will be coming out as paid content in December. Just some, you know, looks into, like, into my life and my circle of friends. And uh, I will also be releasing each week a brief Substack post that basically serve as uh, polls or discussion starters so that people can talk about um, these uh, subjects on the article, or they can chip in with their own feedback as to what you would like to hear in the next season of this podcast. So with that being said, once again, thank you guys so much for uh, contributing in whatever way you have, whether it's listening or or um, giving some of your money. I know it's a tough time right now economically, so the fact that you're willing to put a little bit aside just means so much to me. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I wanted to say thank you. It's great to see a friend, a friend of mine working on something he, that he knows is very important and seeing him have success in it. Like, so thank you. It's been nice seeing him get out of his funks. <laughs> Actually, this. it is. Yes, <laughs> I will actually agree with that. So thank you guys for listening, and I will see you for one more episode this season next week. Bye-bye. Have questions about the topics I've covered or the conversations I've had? Want to provide suggestions for autism-related topics I can cover? Email me at vanzotmedia at gmail.com. That's V-A-N-Z-O-T media at gmail.com, and I'll consider your suggestions. Hey guys, while I have you, I'd like to promote a singer and songwriter I've had the pleasure of getting to know, David Angus. David has produced music for me in the past, including the opening song of my audio drama Mortal Deity, which you can find on my YouTube channel, Vanza Productions. Check out his music on Spotify and download his albums when the clubs come out and his latest afters at the casino. I know he'll appreciate it. Hey guys, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, write a review to help the show grow, and subscribe to my Substack at thepancakeking.substack.com to receive updates on new podcast episodes, a new blog post every Saturday, and other content I may put out. You can also check out the entertainment me, KG, and my friends make together on our YouTube channel, Vanzot Productions. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.